Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to a Snipper Nixon production. Welcome to Are You Feeling Funny? Where top comedians talk to a Harley Street doctor about their health and well-being. I'm Alan Nixon, and in today's edition, you'll be hearing guest comedian Robin Ince, as you've never heard him before. I've described it to someone as saying, when you can see the cracks in your sanity, and you haven't fallen through them yet, but you can see that they're wide enough that you could. Robin Ince will be in conversation with Harley Street specialist Dr Brian Kaplan, who has a passion for comedy. All comedians provide a service to people. Anyone that makes other people laugh, whether it's through a funny hat or dressing up or whatever it is, if it makes people laugh, it's having all those physiological benefits. Robin Ince is not only a very funny comedian, he's an accomplished broadcaster, writer and communicator who co-hosts a groundbreaking Radio 4 programme, The Infinite Monkey Cage, with Professor Brian Cox. His highly distinctive style is a unique combination of science, irony, laughter and learning, all in one act. Now here's Dr Kaplan in conversation with Robin Ince. So let's start off with the body. Have you had any physical ailments or any accident or anything that would have brought you into a communication with a health professional of any sort? Very little. I mean, I started, I was a very clumsy three-year-old, so I uh, I was once playing a kiss chase with the local Baptist minister's daughter, and yeah. uh, as I fell, I decided to grasp a, a very old rose bush, one of those ones where the thorns have become particularly thorny, and I tore out a tendon in my hand. So that with was my, a rose? Yeah, that was my first, so it has a fairy tale quality to it. That, that that was my first incident, uh, that I was doing three, and then when I was also three, uh, I cut my chin open, uh, and that's pretty much in terms of damage, uh, physical damage. Oh, I also once, uh, my arm was or a radial fracture in my elbow when I was crossing the road with a particularly clumsy uh, stand-up comedian and animator called Howard Reed, who in a proper kind of, of mice and men disparity in heights, uh, Howard, we just, Howard just suddenly decided to change entirely the direction he was crossing the road. And I had a proper cartoonish up in the air, both feet off the ground, and then gravity returning me with a thud. And of course, it took me four days to go to hospital, even though I couldn't really move my arm, because I went, it'll just be a tiny thing, it won't be anything. <laughs> and then eventually I saw the bruise, which was magnificent. So I've overall, I've not had um, that much need for any of my own physical calamities to have to go to hospital. And do you remember any of those interactions at three years old? What happens with the... Well, I have, my, my memory of... Because my memory kicks off just before my third birthday, and I don't know if this is this. I suppose is more of a psychological thing, which is uh, I was in uh, a car accident when a 
two weeks before my, my third birthday, which was uh, quite a bad car accident. My mother was in hospital for three months. Uh, she was in a coma and many other there were many mm. other ramifications really for the rest of her life. And so from that point onwards, I have a reason, every time that uh, major instance I have quite, so I, I remember, I can patchily remember what I believe the tendon appeared to be like that was pulled out. It may well have mm. actually been stitching. And of course it may well be me putting together a memory with actually lots of other bits and pieces. But that, mm. I, so I remember that and I remember, to me, I have quite a physical memory of the moment that my chin went thud on the sand pit and the kind of probably the cry from my father of oh no not again uh and uh, and i remember the the kind of the the somewhere between a bumpkin billionaire and a kind of lincoln's beard of just those what felt like very long black stitches you know sticking out from my chin but not a bad it doesn't sound like a traumatic memory of the doctors or anything at all no I, I have very yeah. few traumatic memories of uh, of doctors and it's, i was very lucky our, our actual gp as well was a uh, a, a very kind of trusted became a family friend so I've never yeah you know, apart from my own paranoid fear of what may be going on internally I don't have a uh, a paranoid fear of of doctors as a whole well tell me about that relationship because I also had that I had a GP who was called Uncle Louis and I, he used to make us laugh and and somehow I remember him making us laugh rather than the actual instances I remember him saying the most terrible jokes he, we would say Uncle Louis do you want a cup of tea you'd say yes please we'd say Black or white, and he would say black with milk. That was his <laughs> level of humor, right? But I remember the jokes. I don't remember what he was actually coming to uh, treat me for. I don't remember that. I remember him making me laugh. It's a pleasant experience. So you had the same thing. Exactly the same thing. Do- Dr. Weber, who was, uh, I don't even remember the jab of, you know, when we had to have the flu jabs. I, I mean, in fact, I remember, well, one of the, th- I think the relationship was almost started by the fact that I was born in a snowstorm. So I was actually born in the house where my dad still lives. This is the reason I'm called mm. Robin. It's ter- it's true. This was, <laughs> oh, he was born in the snow. So we'll call him that. And, uh, and Dr. Weber had to somehow get through through this enormous snowstorm yes. and so that I, I I was I was born you know where, as I said he delivered you as well yeah he delivered me I had me. the same thing with Uncle Louis yeah. how's that that's wonderful. so I think yeah. from that point onwards there, I don't know how that changes the relationship but he was you know generally an, an avuncular and compassionate man and certainly with the things that he had to deal with after my uh, my mother's car accident and things like that he was that there was that level of dependability and I think that's but it's as if there was this tremendous trust in him as a human being mm. by the family, yes? I remember, I mean, I can. I have a stronger memory of the smell of the waiting room than I have of any, you know, mysterious or terrible experience with him. And what was that smell? Can you remember it? it? It was that one which is, you just know that it's nothing that has been made by nature, that somewhere the manufacture of uh, pharmaceuticals, something about maybe the cleaning solution that is used on the vinyl chairs, all of those I things. That. I a, think it's the... The, the the sterile solution that they use for, for putting in, they used to use just a sterile solution for putting in uh, some of the metal things that might be used in the mouth or whatever. Yeah, it's, it's not dissimilar to the, the kind of the, the, the pink liquid that you, that you gargle with after you've... Uh, there yes. you are, that smell. But it didn't put you off. It was just no. part of, of Dr. Weber. Yeah, what is it? Did you call him Dr. Weber? Yeah, or, and yeah. I, I think also that I, I've always had a fascination with, since about the age of eight, with, with horror films and with things like, you know, whether it's skulls and bones and internal organs, none of those things. I don't feel very squeamish. 
about that. You know, I, to to me there is a is a is a and maybe even you know now certainly if, if I look down at my hand and the small scar I can see, I I could visualize it being far more open than it actually was. You know that whole the the idea of the of, of the tendons and the muscles, I I, I just find tremendously it's beautiful. It's more fascinating than horrifying. Than yeah. experience. Yeah, amazing. As long as it's me. Yeah. As long as it's me being ripped open, obviously, you know, when the, that, that, that moment where, where I, I watched my son through a letterbox just suddenly stepping backwards and falling down the stairs, oh, that yeah. had far, yeah, whereas if, if that happened to me, I would immediately be yeah, thinking, okay. oh, what's gone on internally when I broke my nose and things like that? I was, I was in the middle of a play, actually, once, and I just found it fascinating to think, why is that going on? Why is it bleeding in that way? What's the particular rupture that's occurred? I went into medicine because of... Uncle Louis and the relationship our family um, had to him. Um, but in getting into medical school, I didn't find them particularly teaching me that sort of communication. I, was, I found myself in a world of science, medical science. And one of my professors, a man called Professor Philip Tobias, and Professor Philip Tobias had worked with Raymond Dart on dissecting Australopithecus africanus, one of the links... In, I know you're interested in Darwin and, and evolution and one of the links and he was a fantastic anatomist and a physical anthropologist a world renowned physical anthropologist because these were very important dissections but he was a fantastic teacher I remember him in front of 200 of us with a down sloping lecture theatre looking at him and he got in, on the desk in front of him and he put himself into the fetal position of the baby in the womb and the movement of the embryo. Embryology is quite a difficult three-dimensional subject as it moves. And I'll never forget him doing this. And many years later, I went to him, some 20 years later, I went to him and thanked him for that teaching, the, the way he taught. And he said, Brian, you have to bring some theatricity into teaching if you expect people to remember anything. And he did that. And I... I really remember, I think, what he wanted me to remember. I can't remember every detail, but I remember the things that he wanted me to remember. Where other anatomy teachers and physiology, it's all quite vague now. And I never saw anyone teach quite like that until I saw you, the way you gave that TED talk, to make people laugh and keep them engaged. I find it, it's that, I, I'm sure it's similar with you, which is when you find out something which is curious or wonderful about the universe, you immediately want to share it with mm. as many people as possible. I, mean, I think that, I mean, more recently, I, I've become particularly interested in neuroscience. Yeah. And that moment that when you can show, I mean, I, I did a lot of, last week I had a wonderful uh, experience of uh, Sophie Scott, who's a neuroscientist who's doing this year's Christmas lectures, asked me if I would have a magnetic pulse to my brain just to see how, uh, by affecting the motor region, it'll stop you talking. Mm -hmm. And she said, I can show you the health and safety stuff. I said, oh, don't bother with that. I'm sure if it's got this far, it'll be fine. And let's just do it. And um, the moment that I'd had it done, I wanted to exp express to everyone the fact that it's a tiny little magnetic pulse and it is just around the motor region of the brain and they move it around to see the different... But this fascinating thing that if you're made to say January, February, March, April, May, and they say that's the simplest thing, say it quickly and you go January, February, March, and suddenly the word disappears and your ability to move your jaw and your tongue and, all, and that just knowing the delicacy of the brain had those tiny pieces of, of of actual physical damage that could happen which will change who you are and who the way you can express yourself the moment you find things out like that you think oh, everyone must know because it's so important to know about the fragility of what it is to be a curious and sentient being yes and that 
what you're talking about is Broca's area of the brain on the left-hand side of the brain. That's why a person who gets a stroke on the right-hand side, it means the left-hand side of the brain has been affected. They can lose speech, whereas the other way around, the left side of paralysis is the right side of the brain doesn't lose speech. Tobias, the same man, Philip Tobias, I once I remember his lecture on Broca's area. He said Broca's area of the brain is what makes us different from all other animals and everything. They cannot communicate in the same way as we do enabling all those functions that you've just said, the tongue, the ability to communicate, make the sounds, the left-hand side of the brain, Broca's area, that makes us different from other mammals and animals. You're listening to Are You Feeling Funny? I'm Luke Nixon. We love making this show, so if you love it too, please comment, rate, or subscribe on your podcast provider. Just sharing a link goes a long way. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. It is really, I mean, what I found as they moved it around, because they were trying to find the best place for when they actually record it for the Christmas lectures, what would be the most effective. And those different experiences each time. But the, the first time I thought, I can't count my observations because it's actually the kind of the, the, the shock of what's happened means that I've probably not really observed it properly. And then the second time I could see the word, but it was as if my the, the, the left side of my face was kind of Amazing. turning to slurry. And then the third time I couldn't see the word or anything whatsoever. <laughs> And it just and each time I thought, wow, that tiny little bit of movement that they're doing, and that is still changing the way that I'm being having verbalization in my. And how do they inflict this uh, effect on the part on the part of the? Brain? It's just a t- I, I'm not entirely sure how the system works. As far as I know, it, I mean, it, it, it looks almost like it looks it looks like a metal version of one of those things people used to beat mats with to get the dust off them. But it's uh, that's what they did. They beat my head repeatedly with a duster. No, it was, uh, <laughs> but it, I, and, and as far as I know, it's just this this magnetic pulse that they had to increase slightly from what they'd expected I presume that obviously skull thickness will have a certain amount of uh, uh, of uh, you know minor amount of, 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 of change in individuals but so it was just literally just this this pulse and it felt like a 
like a little electric shock. Like if you if you ever foolish enough to whether you've got animals, you know, livestock, and there's an electric fence. I don't know if you ever did one of those things of just decided. Well, I wonder out. if that really. Oh, that, it was like a very small. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's the, that's the kind okay. of child I was as well. That I, not only did I do that, I remember I, I used to sometimes put pins inside plug sockets mm. to see what would happen. Of course, it gave you an electric shock. I mean, I kind of knew that, but what an idiot. So you think uh, neuro, neuroscience, it's funny, uh, I was reading an article by Tom Wolfe, mm. and he said um, he thinks if he had to start life again now, he wouldn't have been able to resist neuroscience. That was it. That was his absolute um, fascination. And it's amazing what's happening in neuroscience. At the well, I, th- I think perception is, uh, I, I increasingly, I'm, in some ways, almost where we're watching what's going on with the world, with the way that now we are hooked in via social media and 24-hour news to so many different perceptions of, 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 of reality. And so I'm intrigued, really, to manage to, to go away from just that initial thud of some new Donald Trump story or whatever, mm. to get to the basics of why, one of my favourite experiments that I was part of, and you will know this very well is is the rubber hand ex, uh, experiment where you can't see your own left hand and you look at a rubber hand instead and the fact that 30 percent of people i think it is if they stare at that rubber hand within a minute to two minutes they get the physical sensation that that's the hand they can feel mm. even though they are fully aware that is not their hand now that kind of shortcut that a brain can make despite the fact that your conscious self is going that's not my hand mm. it doesn't matter that you know mm. it's not your hand your brain is going uh well that's a hand i'm going to do a shortcut so i'm going to say that's the position of the hand things like that i think mm. when you experience them help you have some comprehension of shortcuts that are going on all the time and to be aware of the fact that their objectivity is quite a hard and an elusive uh position to reach but you 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 amazingly you don't only present a fascination you 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 have a sense of joy or a sense of fun about this stuff yeah, I mean, it just, it really excites, but perhaps because I am, because everything I approach from a position of ignorance means that I can be playful with it because mm. I've already expressed the fact that I'm ignorant from the moment I walk on stage, whether that's through words or merely my uh, physical appearance. All of these things can combine. Well, and, uh, and so a lot of what I'm wanting to do is make people feel comfortable to approach ideas. And I mean, in, in the in the show, so I'm probably leaping into a position that I shouldn't do in, in this now, but in, in the show that I'm currently doing, I sure. talk a little bit about um, suicide because yeah. I met a, a, a woman when I was out in Adelaide who was kind of my wrangler when I was doing a solo tour. And she one night said to me, comedians need to talk more about suicide. And the reason being that she had lost her daughter, her daughter had killed herself. And she felt that by talking about these things in the kind of lower area of somewhere like stand up means that people start to feel that they can express sometimes with their friends what they might have thought were thoughts that should be kept secret. And so this is music to my ears because the work I do with this thing called provocative therapy, which is the use of human reverse psychology to provoke people to come up with their own behavioral changes, their own solutions um, to their problems. The whole idea is that if the problem can be looked at while they're laughing or while they Mm. see something amusing, the laughter itself acts as a sort of balm for the painful process of looking at something which is the essence of the problem. That's the how provocative therapy works, so I couldn't agree more. But I'm thinking of your TED talk. 
I think I will always remember what you said. And you said when you showed the picture of the mole rat, is it a mole oh, rat? Oh, it might be the naked mole and, rat. Yeah. Naked mole rat. And everyone goes, oh, and you said, yeah, this, but what it, the illustration of it is, this is an example of the least worst form that could mm. able to survive. And I, I hadn't heard, I didn't thought of evolution in those terms. So, you know, I actually learned something as well as enjoyed that talk. I mean, well, I quite that, that least worst term. Were, I mean, it makes me think a little bit. Of, there was a there's a, a psychotherapist that a few psychotherapists that I've uh, interviewed in in the last couple of years, and and it, it was interesting when talking about provocative therapy. One of the therapists who's from a kind of Freudian background, he said one of the first things that is is a great breakthrough in therapy is when someone realizes that you don't have to be good all the time. Mm-hmm. You don't have to it, not no one's just a great person and we might see people and go oh they're just great all the time that realization that we are foibles and faults and we are absurd and that and that is again part of the least worst you're not going to be the best you can be but you may well be you know good enough the least worst in one particular room or whatever it might be or in in a group or politically or in campaigns whatever Mm. it is yeah yeah i mean now you've taken us effortlessly into the next area which is psychological medicine or body mind um, so you've you've had experience of therapy or meeting therapists or anything you'd like to talk about. I've, I've never had therapy, though I genuinely would. I'd be interested. I've I've reached. I, there was a point a couple of years ago when I stopped doing stand up for a while because I felt I described it to someone as saying when you can see the cracks in your sanity and you haven't fallen through them yet, but you can see that they're wide enough that you could. Mm-hmm. And there was a little moment where I I felt, because I, I, I spend, I, I, people always, I, I ruminate too much, I realise that, mm-hmm. and I have spent a, a lot of time wondering why I am as I am, and why, you know, the, the absurdity, and um, and I, I am interested in, because certainly psychologically I would say things, I'm trying to think of what I can express uh, effectively here, but... Um, Health-wise, a lot of the things that I believe have been marginal problems or have got in the way of my existence are things that I believe are psychosomatic. Mm -hmm. And I think the power of the mind where something like, for instance, IBS where I would say that an enormous amount of, uh, of of my personal experience of that is that once I had some physical experience of it, it became a psychosomatic thing. It became that thing of the idea of I must always sit in the aisle seat. You know, when it gets to a plane trip, you think, oh, I hope that I am near. You're all of those things, being near the loo, not being able to escape. And I feel that that was far more psychosomatic than actually physical. So I'm yes. always interested in those kind of areas. Well, whenever you see the word syndrome in medicine, obviously what that means is a collection of symptoms which cannot be explained by biological means. Mm. So that irritable bowel syndrome is always diagnosed by exclusion. We need to exclude inflammatory bowel conditions such as Crohn's and ulcerative colitis and others. And then you're left with this unexplained bowel symptoms and you call it irritable bowel syndrome. There's no, there's no test for it. So that's... Um, Yes, a huge, the body-mind connection is absolutely crucial in my, you know, way that I deal with people as one thing, as it were. Um, How do you find psychotherapists? You say you spoke to them, um, Mm. talking to them. How do you find them as people? I've found, apart from one Jungian, who I did not get on with at all, uh, that was one of those things where 
I the moment I walked into the room, I felt a level of conflict, mm. and there was. And I'd also remembered that I'd walked across a muddy field to drop my son off to school, so I was constantly aware of the fact there was a small amount of mud on the heel of my shoe, and there was the pristine therapy carpet. <laughs> you know, and I was like, oh god. That's it. Um, but I I knew, and afterwards I spoke to someone else who who knew this person without naming names. He said, oh, I know who that will be, and I know that that's the kind of attitude. But generally, I found. Uh, I'm always very interested in, um, I mean, most of the people I spoke to, the, the, the gentleness of their interest in, in humanity and why mm. people are as they are. And mm. I've seen interesting conflicts. There was one friend of mine who, uh, she said that if you're still making a joke about something, it means you haven't come to terms with it. Mm. And then another friend of mine who's from a more Freudian background, he said that he does not see a problem with joking at all, but it's, it's just about the kind of joke. So, for instance, I'd, when I saw her again, I said, after my mum died, I said, the first joke I did on stage about my mother dying, I said, about a month afterwards, uh, I said, my, my mother died last month, which is predominantly a negative thing. But on the plus side, I can have my hair cut any way I want now. And she said, that's actually fine. She said, that's fine because you are acknowledging what has happened rather than escaping from it. I thought that's an interesting thing to know. Whereas my other friend from the Freudian background, he very much feels that the laughter, is, it's great. It's, he said that moment that there is sometimes the joke that happens in the room is as if that's the next stage forward. And I think a lot of the time, you, it doesn't have to be an evasive technique to to uh, talk about something comedically. Absolutely, it's a part of ourselves. We all we are composed of many parts. We're not always the same person. Um, it's interesting that you mentioned Jung because Jung. I mean, it sounds like you didn't get on with a person rather than Jungian therapy, but Jung was the one who would reiterate strongly what you said that. You know, as much as positive as a person can look, he mentioned the shadow. Where there's mm. light, there's a shadow. So there's likely to be a shadow, and that's often is the case. Yeah, I find Jung very. I mean, I'm only at quite an early stage mm. of, of. I mean, he wrote so much. Yes, so this yeah. is, it's like the other day I finally got rid of most of my Freud books. I went, I'm not going to get round to those. You know, <laughs> I just need three. And and I find those ideas of 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 the shadow seems to work very well with ideas of 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 what we are attempting to get in contact with when you're you're standing on stage. If you know, if you're that kind of uh, a comedian, obviously. Absolutely. You're listening to Are You Feeling Funny? I'm Olivia Nixon. We love making this show, so if you love it too, please comment, rate or subscribe on your podcast provider. Just sharing a link goes a long way. Okay, so let's move on to spiritual things. I'm not going to ask you if you believe in God, but let's. what do you feel about God, the concept of God? I, I think everyone needs a coping mechanism, mm-hmm. and uh, I haven't got a, a, a God. It's literally, it's one of those things where there is no great moment, there's no kind of Damascene or anti-Damascene moment where, you know, I lost God. I come from a background where most of my family do believe, and from my grandfather back, it's pretty much a, a vicars and soldiers and vicars and soldiers. Mm-hmm. So, um, But I, I it's... I just don't I it's almost like it's not that I don't find it useful because I know for some people it is very useful and in terms of my religious my belief about religious people is as I'm not against religion so much as I'm against dogma that's mm-hmm. all that I really care about so I think if someone has a belief system which will then bar them from being able to approach certain ideas or having certain levels of curiosity or certain ways of expressing themselves or sexuality or whatever it might be then that to me would be a negative thing but that- we could be broader we could talk about say pantheism or seeing mm. some spirituality in nature or something like that without 
looking at dogmatic uh, exactly. systems. Yeah, M- most of the religious people I know are lovely people. In fact, yeah. I've met some, some right sods of atheists recently. But um, <laughs> the, I uh, so. I never certain what spiritual means mm. because when I look at something particularly beautiful, there is a sensation I have, and that's now kind of some people say that's a spiritual thing. I'm not mm. sure if the word is even required. You know, sometimes, whether it's looking at a, a, a real landscape or whether it's looking at certain late Turner paintings, which are almost entirely light, mm. there is a sensation mm. of of delight and joy which you would not be able to put into words. It is merely something, it, 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 whether even it, 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 it's visceral. It, it is a moment where you lose yourself. Exactly. I mean, this is the spirituality as perhaps interconnectedness with other people or nature itself. This is a, a something that Krishnamurti used to talk about. He would say, what is it about you see a rainbow you, or you see the sea or something, and for a moment you just feel some ecstatic. And the idea is perhaps because you're not thinking. Mm. Because thought has been suspended, you are being rather than doing or actually even thinking. That's what you're saying as well. Well, that well that's do- what I'm always looking for because I, I have quite a busy kind of uh, commentary in my head and a certain level, I would say, probably of, of, of hypervigilance. Uh, and so those moments where you... And I, I spend a lot of time in art galleries and I love going for walks and I love being... you know Anything that you go, there will be a moment where I go, oh, I can't now immediately look back and know exactly what the thought in my head was. Mm. There was a little bit of escape. Yes, that's what it is. And, I'm, I, you know, you always, people sometimes, they go to the people in love, say, and they have a holiday or a honeymoon somewhere in some beautiful place, and then they think that by going back to that place, they can recreate the holiday, but they can't because it's what the beauty was only a catalyst for them not thinking and just being for a while. So they go and see the same beautiful thing again, but it doesn't have the same effect because they weren't in the same subjective space. It's like that that great moment where sometimes you have an experience which is almost nostalgic as it's Mm. going on. I remember being on a beach in Devon and it was just so beautiful and my son was just playing and building a thing. Everything about it, you went, there is a level here of just ideal existence, which means you're almost enjoying looking back at it as as Mm. it's going on. Well, the religious person say there, you were close to God at that time. You see, you were there, you felt the interconnectedness. Um, with everything. And See, that's what I never understand. What does that mean, though? What is what is the God? Because I'm I'm very yeah. there's a few people that I I know, including kind of bishops and stuff. Where yeah. when it actually gets to defining what is God, that's what I don't. Because is it this uh, like a physical being with mm. the big beard, or is it some kind of th- it, it? To me, it doesn't seem to satisfy. Um, the only way that it would then be satisfactory for some people is if it was actually some figure that is a leader. And then that, to me, would be a terrible figure and, and of no use to me whatsoever Correct. because it would limit. So that, that bit of going being nearer to God is, I, I just think that being nearer to, in one way, the preposterous probabilities that lead to something that we perceive as... Be, is, <laughs> and and I, I like preposterous probabilities. That's why, you know... Um, yeah, I once talking to a Christian cleric about God and his concept of God, etc. And, and the name Richard Dawkins came up. And it's interesting, what came up was what you said, how do you define God? And he made the comment, he says, I have never met anyone who believes in the God in which Richard Dawkins does not believe. So in other words, it's pre- the, this Christian guy was saying it's preposterous, his definition of God. No one believes in that God. 
crazy definition of God, as it were. But then they don't. I don't know what they do believe in because that's what because some people would use the Old Testament God as their guide. I mean, so even yes. though when that person says that, we only have to look at some of the fundamentalism that goes on. Whether in this country where we saw people like Stephen Green from Christian Voice, who I know very much when I did the Greenbelt Christian Festival, which I've done a couple of times. You know, if his name comes up, you just see Christians go. But that, why is it called Christian Voice? Because that's not our voice. You know, that, to them that wasn't their their voice at all. Mm. So I, I yeah, it, it, it's. I think it would be nice to think intellectually that no one believes in this ghastly, domineering, censorious individual, but people do believe in it if, if it comes into their own particular bigotry that they want to mine. I would love to interview people and find out what if they could in any way manage to uh, just get some form of definition of what they think they mean. Because it becomes, I mean, that's why I think people can have, you know, people can be scientists and they can believe in God is because very often God is not something in their mind that is in any way solid or that it is as you said it's like that spiritual thing it's just some sense some sense that is indefinable mm, perhaps an interconnectedness or feeling more interconnected is to say one might be having mm. a religious experience feeling more connected to everything Perhaps this yeah. is the pro- it's the problem with physics. It's the problem with uh, so many of the things that we try to understand. Is we have not evolved to necessarily have the vocabulary or the way that we can manage to retrieve a definition, and therefore something like God becomes this is for the area of my brain which just kind of goes I don't know, and therefore mm. this it is a delight, it is a joy, it is a fear. It's a fear of being a tiny thing in a, in a large, you know, an enormous universe. All of those things. So let's just we'll use God for the time being because we haven't got the language I mean with quanta oh, there's a wonderful mm. author called Philip Ball um, and and his new book about uh, um, the kind of quantum universe which I haven't read yet it's just coming out his, he says part of the problem we have is that the metaphors that we use the similes that we use are not really how the universe is behaving so mm. when we talk about something behaving both as a particle of wave when we talk about something mm. being in two places at once all of them are actually shortcuts they're not really the full picture but that's that's part of the fun isn't it when you start to look towards synchronicity and go one thing that we can be aware of is how much we're missing all the time with the full picture and the necessity of that because if we got the full picture all the time we'd be so bombarded with that one visual that we wouldn't ever be able to move and so that ability of the human being to every now and again go oh I've just been able to make a link and when we make that link then we bring in the pseudoscience and the mystical to explain it as opposed to just saying we're missing all of the other links that are going on we just found that particular link for that day and it, and it seems to so we're forced to compartmentalize because we can't cope with the sheer breadth of the structure in yeah. front of us yeah oh, it's been absolutely fascinating talk to you I mean I'm, I'm enthralled by your enthusiasm so you seem to have a childlike joy for discovering things and finding the magic in them or finding the fascination I think what helps is also when you actually have a child. That was one of the things that yeah. I, I, I found that when my son was born, from that point onwards, it really helps as being the extra alibi that was required to sometimes venture into those things that you might have left aside before. Uh, Robin Ince, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Thank, Thank you. you so much for joining us. You've been listening to Are You Feeling Funny? A Snipper Nixon production. In this episode, Dr. Brian Kaplan has been talking with comedian Robin Ince. If you've enjoyed this episode, please comment, rate or subscribe on your podcast provider. Just sharing a link goes a long way.
Are You Feeling Funny featured Dr. Brian Kaplan. The comedy consultant was Arnold Brown. Music and sound by Alex Hollingsworth. The producers were Luke and Alan Nixon. And this was a Snipper Nixon production. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.